you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube. You can go ahead and turn this morning over to Romans chapter 4. We were there a few weeks ago, kind of introduced it. But this morning, what we're going to do is come back. We're going to begin in verse 17, and we're going to wring a bit more truth uh, out of this and actually go some places that I think are very important for us this morning. Uh, So you can turn over to Romans chapter 4, verse 17. So we're in this series about um, the ways of God, choosing the way of the Lord. And we've done a lot of, you know, I'll just, I'm not going to repeat all of that. But I will say that when we talk about ways, right, those are habitual ways that we do things. Ways of choosing, ways of moving, habitual thought patterns, subconscious most of the time. They're just things we've picked up from our families, from culture, from Uh, from different influencers in our life, and they're the way we approach things. So we want uh, to adopt God's ways to be our ways, okay? Because the same is true of the Lord. He does things the same way. He does it, not because it's just a habit for him. He does it because he's always true to his nature, and he's and he moves in truth, and he he does things the the same way. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, um, But I want to go over here and I want to start, we've been talking about the way of faith for a couple of weeks. We've said a number, laid a lot of groundwork. But today I want to go over and uh, look at the life of Abraham. And I talked to you a little bit about this last week, that Abraham is held up in the New Testament to us as um, the father of everyone who comes to God by faith. In other words, instead of by works, okay? And Abraham lived 400 years before the law was given to Moses. 400 years before the rules were written down, he approached God by faith. And it says that that faith, that trust in God, was credited to him as righteousness. Well, we live the same way in the New Testament. We do not approach God by our works, by our good deeds. Okay, Our good deeds grow out of our relationship with God. We are supposed to have good deeds in our life, but we don't earn our position with God through them. We approach God by faith. So so Abraham is held up uh, as the father of all who believe. Uh, That's the way Paul uh, wrote it. So there are just some things in this chapter. We need to look at a few verses here. And uh, again, I want to begin in verse or chapter four, verse 17. I believe what you have on your screen is the New International Virgin, Version. New, the New International Virgin is, is on. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting day, I can tell. So that's County Road 30, right? Out there. Okay. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He, Abraham, is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God, get this, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. It says he is the God who gives life to the dead, calls things that are not as though they were. Those, those two phrases 
are declarations that tell us about two important ways that God does things, two important ways of God. Every way of God points us to an aspect of God's nature. When we see how God moves, it always tells us something about who God is. Because again, there's no hypocrisy in God. There's no changing. There's no shadow of turning. He is the same. He moves according to his nature. Sometimes we're deceptive in what we do. God is not deceptive in what he does. That makes sense to you. Okay, So knowing God's nature is just a huge part of rightly dividing the word or being able to um, identify what God's role would be in any kind of situation that we face, uh, identifying how God would move in any kind of situation that we would face. And in that, we, we start to figure out what God's will is for the things that we face on earth. And, and all of this has tremendous practical impact in our lives. It changes the way we the way we think, it changes the way we look at life, it changes the way we pray, it changes our conversation day to day. But it says, the, it says, number one, that he is a God who gives life to the dead. This is what he does. He gives life to the dead. Doesn't say sometimes, doesn't say once in a while, doesn't say when he feels like it. It says he is the God who gives life to the dead. And he is the, the, he is the God who calls things that are not as though they were. And what we can derive from that is that, number one, he is the God who gives life to the dead. Number two, part of the way he brings life to the dead is by calling things that are not as though they were. In other, in other words, and we've seen this other places in the scripture, God declares the end from the beginning. He doesn't get hung up in the present. He doesn't get hung up in what is on earth right now. What's going on? What's the situation? Where's somebody's heart? He calls the end from the beginning. And there again, we're not going to go this far today, but that truth has tremendous impact on the way that we pray and the way that we approach the challenges and the problems and the things in our lives. Okay, but let's just stay on this. Let's just stay on this first one for a bit. So and I'm going to stick to my notes right here because we need to get to another place. So I'm going to try and make this a little bit brief. So it says here that a part of God's nature and his method is that he is a God who gives life to the dead. That tells us something about his nature. He is the author of life. He's not the author of death. He is the author of life. All right. He is the author of blessing, not of cursing. He is the author of increase and vitality and fruitfulness. Those are the things that he desires for our life. He's not the author of lack, of decay, of things falling apart here on the earth. All of that. He's the, he's the author of health and healing, not the author of sickness and disease. All of those other things came into the earth through sin. And the Bible's explicit about that, that through one man, through Adam, through his choice to believe the devil and not believe God, sin entered the earth and with sin came death. And again, I've told you this many times, that term death speaks of spiritual death from which that means separation from God and from his life because he is the author of life. All right. So that term death means separation from God and all the ugly things that come from that. 
everything, every kind of hurt and destruction and decay and mess that we see on this earth is only here because sin entered into the earth. Okay, so so God is not the author of those things. So we can, in thinking about his ways, we can understand, well, if it tends toward life and health and growth and increase and satisfaction, all the things that he promises us, then that is God's working in that. If it tends toward death and destruction and ruin and demise, God's not, I'm not saying he's, he has no part in that. I'm not saying he's not addressing it. I was going to say he's not working in that. Well, he may be working, but he's working to restore and redeem. Is this making sense to you? Okay. Secondly, God gives life to the dead, describes God's desire and plan for every person and every situation and every circumstance that you and I are facing today. Okay, he gives life to the dead. If an area of life is devoid of his life, his intention, his desire is to bring life, his life into that place. All right. The fact that he gives life to the dead tells us there is nothing impossible with God. There is no impossible situation. There is no impossible person. There is no one who is beyond and no circumstance that is beyond redemption. All right, God is a God who redeems, which means to buy something back, okay, to purchase it out. It's often used of purchasing someone out of slavery and giving them freedom. He is a God who redeems and a God who restores. And restoration means you're taking something that is broken, that is uh, that is decayed and you are restoring it to its original glory, to its original beauty, to its original function. God is a God of redemption. God is a God of restoration. And there is nothing that is too difficult. There is nothing in your life or my life and no one in your life or my life that is beyond God's ability to redeem and restore. And we can just think about that. Are there people in your life that right now you feel like, well, there's just, there's just no hope there. You know, there's just no, no way that can get turned around. Maybe it's you and you feel that way about yourself. And I just believe God wants you to know this morning, you are not re- beyond redemption. You are not beyond full restoration. You know, <laughs> I follow a lot of these uh, pages, Facebook or wherever, um, that are about restoring these old BMW motorcycles that people, barn finds, you know, somebody will find it in a barn. Sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's not. Um, But some of them, and they show the before picture and they show the after, it's just an old rusted, pistons are seized, I mean, just horrible. And these guys enjoy it, apparently, this would not be my thing. I'd like to have it after it's restored, but not into it. But anyway, they'll restore that thing and it'll look like new and run like new and, and it's just, they'll bring it all the way back to this beautiful machine. You'd never know it was the same. That's restoration, okay? Some of you are, you know, familiar with the, the house flipping thing where somebody will go into this disaster of a house and they'll restore it 
and it'll be just beautiful. It'll be brought back to its original function. That is who God is. He's the God who gives life to the dead. If there's a place that doesn't have his life in it, he is willing and able and desiring to bring life to that place. And often he uses us to do that. Often he uses us to be his hands and feet, to bring someone to Christ, to help disciple them, to give them the word. A lot of times it's intercession. It's just praying the word of God over somebody's life until we see that that turnaround. Okay, so just quickly, you know, this is a verse we go to a lot. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus said, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and to destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and that they may have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. I came that they may have and enjoy life. That is the Greek word zoe there for life, zoe. And let me just, I'm just going to give you this definition. You've probably heard it many times. And this is really, this is what I'm going to read to you is just a partial definition of this word life, zoe, the God kind of life that Jesus says he came that we might have and enjoy the God kind of life. It means absolute life. It means an eternal and indestructible life. It means the spiritual life which is in God and which God lives in and from which all biological life proceeds. It is a blessed life. It is a satisfying life. It is a life immersed in God's favor. It is a reigning life. It's the above only and not beneath life. Not reigning over people, but reigning over life rather than life reigning over us. It is a life that's infused with and carries God's presence. It's a life that produces health and strength and peace and prosperity and freedom from sin and every kind of good quality. It is the opposite of spiritual death and the resulting devastation of man's divine purpose and experience. Jesus said, I want you to have and enjoy. I came so that you can have and enjoy that life. Is that reasonably good news today? So, this this verse, uh, Romans 4.17, it says, Abraham believed in this God, the God who gives life to the dead, calls those things which are not as though they were. That term believed means in the New Testament, it is a verb, okay? Faith is a noun. What is a noun? A person, place, or thing. Okay, faith is a noun. It's a thing. It's faith, all right? It's confidence. Believing is a verb that comes from the word faith. Linguistically, that's what it is. So that so it's an action word. Verbs are action words. So when we have confidence in God, it causes us to do something. It enables us to do something, but it motivates us. It moves us to do something. And that something is we begin to lean into what we believe about God. We begin to stand on. This is literally what the word believe in your New Testament means. You put the weight of your life upon. Again, the definition is that believing is not mere credence, which means 
See, we use the word believing there, and we really shouldn't, okay? Not mere credence, not just agreement with, not just confidence in, not mere credence, but reliance upon. So all of a sudden, I'm leaning upon what I trust in, okay? So it says that Abraham leaned into, lived his life from what he believed about God, all right, that he was... And he, and he believed what God said about him and said to him. God came along and said, through you, I'm going to bless all nations, right? I'm, I'm going to bring forth a son from you and Sarah in your old age. Abraham leaned into this and stood on it when it was 100% impossible in the natural. There was no physical evidence to support what God was saying. And Abraham believed. He began to live his life upon. He began to be motivated by. He began to live differently because this, was, this conviction was at work in his heart. There was no natural evidence. If anything, there was lots of natural evidence that that was impossible. Okay? He was old. Sarah was old. We know the story. And it was 25 years from the promise to the fulfillment. And it, it never looked better in the natural. They never got younger. They didn't all of a sudden turn 30 years old. Okay, It never looked better in the natural. And yet God brought it about. And that period of time, and I, and I want to say this, I don't want to go way into it today, but I want you to realize, because we look at those things, wow, Abraham, wow, that was cool, 25 years. Oh. That was, they did not walk that out perfectly. They did not never waver. They needed to be encouraged. We see God encourage Abraham. Abraham went back to God a couple of times and said, man, how's this going to, can't you just well, they came up with the wonderful plan for him to sleep with his young maid and bring forth a child through that. They brought forth Ishmael. Sarah came up with it. Sarah said, I think you should sleep with the maid. Abraham said, praise God. I think you're here. And I, honey, I think you are hearing from God. Went with it. They had Ishmael and, and the whole Arab world and the Muslim world and all of that came from Ishmael. And once they had Isaac, then the whole Judeo-Christian world came from We're still having issues between those two from that decision. So they didn't walk this out perfectly. And there were times where he said, God, can't, can't you just use this, this other guy in my house? Can't you just use him to do this? He got tired. He obviously got tired. And the Lord took him out and in the night in the desert and said, look at the stars. Count them for me. Count the stars for me. You know, obviously impossible, overwhelming what we see out there under a desert sky, under a high mountain sky, out there, what we see, I can't count that. He says, so shall your seed be. So shall those. It's going it's to be this numerous, the people that come from you. And it's not going to happen through your maid. Or any of the other ones, so leave them alone. God didn't actually say that. Um, it's going to happen through Sarah. And the interesting thing is, uh, they both, in separate places, both Abraham and Sarah, had to come to a place where they just laughed about it. 
and the scripture, I don't have them written down, uh, those references for you, but they both had to come to a place where it was like, they laughed at the absurdity of that God was going to do it this way. There was an acceptance there. They weren't laughing at God. They were just like, okay. And they both had to come there. Abraham first, Sarah later. And then they named Isaac. Isaac means laughter. So there was that place they had to come to where it was just like surrender. You know, this is the promise of God. And okay, you're going to do it that way. Okay. And he did, but they both had to come to that place in their hearts, which I I just think there's a a great lesson for us there, okay? But, so, how do we, we want to live like this. How does faith enable us to do this? So I I do want to go over to Hebrews 11.1, all right? Just look at a couple of verses here. Are you still with me? Okay, because this is, this is going to get important. You know, the rest is just, no, I'm just kidding. Hebrews 11.1 1, from the Amplified. It says, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. All right, so it says faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed to the things we hope for. We know from other studies that hope is confident expectation of good coming from God. It's not doubtful wishing. It's not, oh, I wish this would happen. It is in the Bible. It is confident, but it is expectation, anticipation. Wow, God's going to do this, but it's out there in the future. God's going to do this, but it's something that rises up in us and paints a picture of what God is going to do. All right, that's what hope does when it comes from the Lord. And then faith comes in, comes into our hearts, and it becomes the title deed to what we hope for. And when we have the title deed, nobody can come along and tell us that we don't own the thing. If you have the title to your car and somebody comes along and says, hey, that's not your car, you're like, talk to the hand, you know? I mean, this is... Yeah, it's my car. I have the title. We have the title to this property. Nobody can come along and say, oh, I don't think you own that property. No, it's ours. We have the title. That's what faith is. It's that confirmation in the heart that something you cannot see yet. It has not been manifested yet. It's not that we're looking at the natural and we're seeing, you know, oh, it looks more and more and more like this is going to happen. It's not that. It is the word of God working in our hearts, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing the spoken word of God. It is that word delivering a title deed into our hearts. That's what it is. But it gives this the ability to perceive as real fact what is not yet revealed to the senses. Now, this process does begin with hope. Hope and faith work together. When we have no hope, one of the things we get, which we we just described, I didn't say it this way, from the fact that God gives life to the dead means there are no hopeless situations. If God can raise the dead, and if he is willing to raise the dead, what can't he do? Okay, that to us, from our natural perspective, death is the end. It's it's, It's the end, okay, other than eternity. You stay with me here. In the natural, 
That's the end. There's nothing we can do about it in the natural. But God comes in and gives life to that situation. So again, whatever the person is, whatever, whatever the situation is, there are no hopeless situations. We've said many times that the only place, as, as God's representatives, as his children, the only place we're allowed to be, we're authorized to be hopeless is any place where God is hopeless. Okay, and there aren't any. So we, don't, we aren't really authorized to, to continue to live without hope. And we can go to God let me, let me read this verse to you. This is from the Passion Translation. It's, it's Romans 15, 13. Just let this one soak into your heart today. It says, Now may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. Isn't that good? So God's the source of hope. And that begins this, you know, faith is the substance of something we're hoping for. So we need to go to God and let the God of hope so fill us with hope that we radiate it. That's, that's what the Lord has for us here, okay? And so how do we, how do, we do that? Faith here, it says, gives us the ability to perceive things as real fact where there is no natural evidence yet. There is evidence in the hope that's in our heart, the picture that God's painting in our heart, but there isn't any out here, okay? And we need that. If we're going to walk the way that God walks, if we're going to live, if we're going to have and enjoy the abundant life of Christ, this is where we need to be. So, so go with me, if you would, uh, over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. I think we looked at this one a couple of weeks ago. We're going to dig into it a bit farther. This is a, I believe this verse describes a heart posture that is a part of faith. It's a, it's a choice that we make that I'm going to establish my heart. I'm going to grab this attitude. This is going to be my way in life. All right, 2 Corinthians 4.18, I'm going to read it from the Amplified. It says, Since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are, are unseen. Since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Why? For the things that are visible are temporal, brief, and fleeting, but the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. Okay, if it's visible, if I can touch it, smell it, see it, it's here in this earth, it can change, all right? But it feels unchangeable. I know, but it can change. This is a heart posture. So what am I going to consider? And what am I going to look at? What am I, does this mean I'm going to deny everything that's going on in my life? Not at all. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. This means I'm going to make a comparison in my heart between the promise of God, which is unseen, at this time, and whatever this situation, whatever this circumstance, whatever it is that's going on, I'm going to consider those two, and I'm going to focus my heart on the promise of God. I am going to allow faith to help me perceive as real fact what God has said. And I'm going to understand that whatever this situation is, no matter how big it is, 
no matter how permanent it seems, the scripture says it's temporary, it's brief, it's fleeting, it can move, it can change. But the things that are invisible, those are deathless. They are full of that life. Okay, those things are deathless. They are everlasting. In when we're when faith is at work in our heart, God makes things visible to the heart that are not yet visible in the natural. It's part of what faith does. He paints an image on the canvas of your heart when you spend time with him. And many of those images, many of those dreams, maybe those things that he puts in your heart, they seem impossible. And there's no evidence. There's just, there's no evidence of it. But that is the life of faith. And it's through faith and obedience that those things come from the spiritual realm into the natural realm. Are you still, are you, are you with me? And I just, I mean, I don't mean to, I don't like to talk about us very much, but I know us and I don't know all your stories. But I just started to write down, I got to that and I was meditating on that the other day and I just started thinking about when God first called us to ministry in general, we had no we had no interest in ministry. We had no direction toward ministry. It wasn't something. In fact, at that time in my life, I used to be in church and I'd look at, you know, the pastor and the people. And honestly, my heart was, boy, I wouldn't want to do that. That's, it was. It was just like, I wouldn't want to have that job. And, and uh, but when he called us, he activated things on the inside of us that I guess were there since... I suppose we're there since we were born, but we didn't know it until then. Things came alive on the inside of us because God called. And and at the, I mean, the night that he called me to teach the Bible, again, I was there. I mean, I was enjoying church and we were at a conference and I was really enjoying, Pastor Bob Yandian was teaching and I loved his teaching and and everything, but I was not thinking any of that. And God just all of a sudden, he, he just said, I mean, into my heart, so strong. He said, you can do that. And I was like, what? And, but I knew when he said it, something went off of me. And I just had this, I can, I can do that. It was just weird is all I can say. It was just weird. But it was, you know, there was nothing there before until God put it in our hearts is all I can all I can say. And when he called us to full time ministry, there was no ministry to be full time in. I mean, there was nothing. It just he had called us. We were just living our lives. We were just innocently working our jobs and setting our hands to whatever was going on in our local church. There was no ministry for us to. Oh, we're supposed to go do this or whatever. But we knew. We had this word from God. We knew that it was going somewhere. We didn't. We didn't know where yet. He, you know, we were living in Durango. He called us back uh, to Albuquerque and back to Believer Center, and there was no. We knew the call for months and months, and then one day we get a call. There was nothing going on in the natural, but we got an invitation to come back and work there. And that hadn't been there before. It just showed up in the natural. But we knew the call for months 
before that happened. And we just incubated it. We prayed over it. We wondered what in the heck, you know, it was when we went back there. There was no guarantee of anything except a cut in pay <laughs> to go to work there and that I would get to vacuum floors and scrub toilets. I mean, that was, you know, that was what was there when we went back. There wasn't anything about teaching or, you know, or doing any of that. It didn't happen for a couple of years, but we had a word from God that birthed something in our hearts. When he called us to come up here, we didn't know anybody. There was no, there were no people. There was no place. There was no, we didn't have any big crew to come and, and build a place or, or, you know, help us start everything. We didn't have a bunch of financial backing. We didn't have any of that stuff, but we had a word from God. And at the time that he, you know, released us, we came and then people showed up and stuff. But what I'm trying to say is, this is the way, this is part of walking by faith is you gotta keep your eyes on what God is saying. And again, well, we're gonna, I'm I'm not gonna go there because we're about to go there, okay? So just, let's just back up. So you gotta keep your eyes on what God is saying because that is where the heavenly reality and the life and the purpose of God is, okay? And we're going to talk in just a minute about what we do with the natural stuff, okay? We're going to we're going to talk about that in just a second. You know, when he told us to buy this property, there wasn't any money for it. We had some smart people to help us, but there wasn't money to go out and do that. There wasn't money to restore the building. There wasn't any of that, that, but we had a word from God. And there was a big process in the middle. The county didn't want us to do it. Other people didn't want us to do it. This I shouldn't say they didn't want us to, but you know, they put you through the ringer to get things done. And, but we had a word from God, you know? And, and so, you know, and now we're standing here and this is paid off and here we are and we're going other, you know, we're going still, but, but, I've had some people approach that and say, well, that's no big deal, you know. Yeah, yeah, fine, you know, you've got this church and and uh, the building and the property and it's paid out. That's no big deal. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. You should be, well, it was a big deal to us. It was a very big deal to us, okay? And it did. We went up and down just like Abraham. We went, you know, there were nights where I laid in bed when he was calling us up here and thought, this is nuts, this is just nuts. We don't know anybody up there. We're working at a great church. We're doing stuff. We're, yeah, but this is nuts. And then down in the bottom, down the bottom under all the turmoil was this piece saying, this is where you're supposed to go. So it's just a matter. We've got to keep our eyes on those things. Let's, um, you need to go back if you're not there in Romans chapter four. And let's look down uh, a little ways farther. And I, I want us to look at verses 18 through 21 because what these verses are going to tell us is that walking by faith and keeping our eyes on what the Lord is saying and his promises, and I say this is for any circumstance, okay, any deal, that process does not mean that we deny what's going on in the natural. And there are a lot of people that 
haven't figured out how to put those two things together. How do I walk through this and deal? I got to deal with the natural, right? I got to deal, whether it's with, you know, your family, your, your job, your business, your employees, whatever it is, we have to take actions in this earth. But the scripture is saying, God's going to be showing me things and I'm supposed to be walking towards things that don't exist yet. How do I put those two together? So let me show you this. In verse 18, this is going to be from the Amplified Bible, Romans chapter 4, verse 18. It says, For Abraham, human reason for hope being gone. In other words, he had no natural reason for hope. Okay, there was nothing producing hope in the earth. What did he do? He hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations as he had been promised. And the quote was, so numberless shall your descendants be. That's what the Lord said to him. So hope is that track that faith runs on and faith regenerates hope as we go along. The two just work together. They're, they're, they, they're cooperative. They work together. Verse 19, this is so important. It says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body. That's an accurate translation. If you're reading uh, the old King James, maybe the new King James, I can't remember. Some of them sound like, it says he considered not his own body and some of them. What that phrase means in the Greek is when, just this. When he considered, he didn't weaken in his faith. It doesn't mean he pretended the natural didn't exist. And that's, that's evident in his life, that he was quite aware of the impossibility of the situation. Does this make sense to you? So it says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered the utter impotence of his own body. And that's exactly what it means. It's quite graphic in the original language, actually. The guy's coming up on a hundred years old. Things are not working the way they once did. The impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead, because I just love the Bible, because he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's deadened womb. That word considered there, okay? He considered the natural. It means to observe. It means to notice. It means to contemplate and think about. So the guy's not in denial, are you getting this? He is not in denial about what's going on. Faith does not deny that the circumstance exists, but it does perceive God's promise as a higher dominant truth in the situation. Okay? And it, and it says that Abraham contemplated the natural fact without giving it ascendancy over God's promise. In other words, as he looked at the situation, as he contemplated it, as he evaluated it, as he checked it out, as it was in his face, he never let that become more real in his heart than the promise of God that he couldn't see yet. Okay? Are you getting this? So I believe this is... This is the way when we consider the fact, consider the circumstance, consider what's going on in the natural. When we consider it, 
all right? We have to be careful not to let it become more real than the promise of God, okay? And I believe what we do in this situation, the reason we consider it, the reason we look at it, the reason we don't deny it, the reason we we look it in the face, we look it in the eye, is because we are contemplating it and then we are making a choice, a faith choice right there, to put it in its place. We are looking at whatever that situation is in our life and we are saying, the promise of God is higher than you are. The promise, and I've got to choose this. I believe this is a place of prayer over things that we look at that are not where we know they're supposed to be right now. We know that the life of God is not there, but he's the God who gives life to the dead. So this situation, and here's something that happens when we look at these things, when we look at the natural fact. This is just a part of human nature. We are going to give that thing some kind of name. We're going to give it some kind of title. Maybe it has a name uh, in, in life. Maybe it's something that has a name. Maybe it has a name like failure. Maybe it has a name like cancer. Maybe it has a name like, uh, you know, whatever it might be in our life. Maybe it has a name like financial ruin. Maybe it has a name like whatever in our, th- and this is just something the Bible from beginning to end names mean something. God had Adam go name all the animals, okay? We in Western culture, we just name things. We just, our town is called Gunnison. Well, why? Because there was a guy named John Gunnison that was a surveyor and he's famous. And so we named the town Gunnison. Okay. In the Bible, it would have had a name that reflected its nature. And a lot of cultures do this. You start going down through New Mexico. Well, even just across the hill, Buena Vista. Okay. What's it mean? Beautiful view. And it is. It's, it's something about the nature of the place, okay? We just name things, you know? I, I mean, we just put these words to them. But in the Bible and the way God does it and the way I believe we're supposed to do it, the way we name things matters. And so when we're, when we're looking at a circumstance in our life, a lot of times we'll, we'll in some way, we're going to give that thing a handle, And that's okay. That's not bad. But I think we've got to be really careful right there at that place. And it's like, okay, I'm going to look at this circumstance that's risen up before me and it looks absolutely horrible and devastating. And you know what I'm going to remember? That thing is changeable. It's temporal. It's fleeting And I've got to hold that name on it in my heart through this faith process. Does this make sense to you? I'm not asking if you agree with me. I'm asking, do you get what I'm saying? We have some friends, a couple we've known for many years. They're just awesome people uh, of God and and of faith. And a couple of years ago, uh, she developed a form of cancer that uh, was aggressive. Uh, It was bad, bad news. And she wasn't expected to live through that. And this is, I'm not saying this is what all of us have to do, but what they felt led to do in that situation. They never called, they never gave that thing the name cancer. It was just part of what God put on their hearts to do, to stand through this thing. They would say, she has some rogue cells in her body and they need to come into line. Okay, that may seem silly to you, but it was important to their faith. 
they would not give it that name. And they were really careful who they even told that this was going on in their life. They didn't try and hide it, but they told people they knew would agree with them and they knew would pray for her healing. And she is totally free. She did the medical stuff, by the way. She went through, she did chemo. She didn't lose her hair. She didn't get sick. She's there. You'd have to know her. She's a Texas lady. She's got the big hair and all the makeup and stuff. She's a great woman. But I mean, so there she is in the hospital doing chemo. And you know what you're supposed to look like when you're doing, oh, no, not her. No, no. She she was all made up and just, you know, just normal. And um, And they went through this thing. But that was one of the things they did. And that just really impacted me. You know, about this, I, we know another woman that was a very good friend of ours, worship leader, wonderful woman of God, got sick really with Lyme disease. It acted like ALS in her body, and she eventually died from it. But the whole time going through that, she kept her joy, she kept her peace, she kept her love for people. She was just awesome. She was just faithful. She kept just praising God. She died. She went to heaven. You know, I mean, I'd rather have her here. I miss her a lot, but I suspect she'd rather be where she is, okay? But she walked through that whole process, never letting the natural circumstance get on top of her and become her reality. And I just, and so it says here, wow, I'm out of time. I'm about done (laughs) for once. It says here in verse 20, I'm going to read 19 with it, if I can find it. He did not weaken in faith when he considered. Okay, so he was considering, he was looking at the utter impotence of his own body, which was as good as dead because he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's deadened womb, verse 20, No unbelief or distrust made him waver, doubtingly question, concerning the promise of God. Stop there for just a second. We know from reading about his life, he had moments where doubt came into his heart, into his mind. But he didn't allow those moments of doubt to cause him to waver, to go back and forth. Well, maybe God's going to do it. Maybe God's not. Maybe it's just his will that this doesn't happen. Maybe I didn't hear him. He didn't allow that. Doesn't say he never experienced it. He didn't allow it. He took control of his thinking. He took control of his focus and he kept it on the Lord. And the Lord helped him. It's not like God's standing back waiting for us to come to this great place of faith. He took him out. He showed him the stars. He talked to him about the sand of the seashore. He gave him examples. He gave him, he he spoke to him again and again and again to build and uphold Abraham's faith. So it says, no unbelief or distrust made him waver or doubtingly question concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong. That's a process and was empowered by faith, how? As he gave praise to God. So that's what he did. In the middle of all that, we all know people that believe that the Bible teaches that you're supposed to pray, uh, praise God for every circumstance. The Bible doesn't say that. It says praise God in every circumstance. There's a huge difference. A lot of our circumstances, God didn't author them. He's the God that gives life to the, to the dead. 
He's the God of life. He wants the abundant life for us. He didn't author them, but we're in them. The Bible says, give praise in every circumstance. How do you do that? There's always a reason to praise God. We get our eyes back on God. And we don't just, you can't just think about these things. You have to actually do them. You have to actually say, yeah, this situation, I'm, I'm looking at it. It sucks. I hate it. But you know what, God? You're faithful. You are good. You are always good. You have a plan and a purpose for this situation. We, we can just go and we just start to praise him for who he is. We start to praise him. You're the God who gives life to the dead. You know what? This situation, you know what I'm calling it? Changeable. I'm calling it changeable. It is fleeting. It's getting out of here. But you, you are eternal. And your word, man, we sang it this morning. I was just, I love that. Your word is eternal. Your word doesn't change. Okay? Your word is forever settled in heaven. It says that in the midst of those contrary circumstances, Abraham grew in faith because he chose in the middle of it to praise God, to set God. Yep, considering, I'm looking at it, I've evaluated it, it's down here, you're up there. We got to do that. And it's not always easy. And you need people to come along beside you. This is not a challenge for you to suddenly get up and do everything right. This is a challenge for all of us to press into the Lord in the middle of these things. Hear what he has to say and declare that stuff over whatever that situation is. We've got to apply the word of God through our prayers, through what we say, through how we live, through how we act, through what we expect. We've got to apply the promise of God. And it goes the final final line, verse 21, fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and do what he had promised. Okay, that was the end result in Abraham's life. That wasn't where he started. And that wasn't what we see through the entire 25 years. But that's where he ended up. He didn't deny the natural. He exalted the word of God, the promise of God. Did you get anything out of this? All right, let's pray. Why don't you stand up this morning? And I want to pray especially this morning for those of you, and I know it's probably all of us, that are facing something impossible in your life. Okay, if that's you, or maybe there's a person in your life that you can think of right now that you've just lost hope for. Let's just all go to the fountain of hope, our God, the fountain of hope. And let's let him restore that in our hearts right now. Father, we come before you, Lord, and and we see that in Romans 15, Lord, you're the fountain of hope. You want to give us hope that absolutely radiates out through us. You, we've already seen, you're the source of our faith. Lord, you are the one who speaks faith into our heart. Lord, all of us want to live in this. But we need guidance. We need instruction. We need specifics about our situation. And Lord, I just lift up everybody in this room that's facing something big in their life, everybody that's out online and those who will see this online later. Lord, we just, we pray, we lift all of these people up. And Lord, we pray, first of all, that they would have a clear understanding that you are the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. You are the God who came and gave your son, gave his life for us so that we could have and enjoy the abundant life, your life. 
Lord, you are the God who encourages us in our faith. Lord, where anyone this morning is discouraged or hopeless in a situation, we pray encouragement, strong encouragement from the Holy Spirit. Encouragement that goes totally beyond what we can see in the natural. Encouragement and hope and joy that makes no sense in the natural with what we're facing. But you know what? It's coming from you and we choose it in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for people who are facing sickness in their bodies, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, we know you are the healer. And we know that your word is full of life and health. We know that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is right now quickening their mortal bodies. Lord, for people who are facing financial problems, Lord, we believe, Father, for wisdom in their life and for opportunity in their life and for strength to stand up and go forward into the solution that you have for them. Father, for people who have relational issues right now, Father, we thank you. You have a plan for that situation. And we believe that you make it clear to them. And Father, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to keep those what are right now invisible realities, we need to keep those exalted and put the others down. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the help of your spirit to enable us to do this and to enable us to distribute this kind of hope and faith to the world around us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Did you get something this morning? All right. We're going to, on the count of three, we are going to say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin of the world. Be dismissed. There are a lot of goodies out there, looked like. So hang out, fellowship, connect with some people this morning. And then um, if you have any questions about this afternoon, the cross-country ski day, whatever, be sure and come and talk to one of us. Okay? Let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church. You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org.